Welcome to the Fourth Dimension with Toby C., where participants dare to disclose bizarre experiences that occur in early recovery. The battle between good and evil, of God and of the occult. The psychic challenges we all encounter when trying to do the right thing. Now, here's Toby. Hey, it's me. It's Toby. I'm back. Yeah. Welcome back if you've been here before to the fourth dimension with Toby C. If it's your first time, welcome. Welcome to the fourth dimension. This is a concept show. And the concept is you're not going to hear us talking about a lot of God. God did for me what I couldn't do for myself. It's very much a recovery show. Um, we're, we're going to talk about the Garden of Eden, but we're not going to be talking about Adam and Eve. We're not going to be talking about the forbidden fruit. Yep, we're going to be talking about the snake today. That's what we're going to do. We're going to keep it interesting. And I got a good friend in the studio today, Christopher M. Christopher, welcome. It's been, I've known Christopher for a long time, and we're going to take a little magical mystery tour like we do every show. We're going to go back in time to Christopher's earliest memories of recovery. And what we're going to do is we're going to try to take an, a common, open-minded journey back into the back in time and try to try to imagine if there was something external that was really interfering with our most desperate moments to get better. That's the theme of the show, by the way. Evil resistance that many of us recover, in, many of us recover, that many of us experience in early recovery. And that's what we're going to be doing today. And you'd be surprised, you know, at the time when we're suffering, we're trying to get better, and maybe you can relate to this, Christopher, that, uh, that, that we are so distracted in so much agony and we really didn't know who to put the, the finger of blame on that we were too busy blaming him or her or it or blaming ourselves or blaming God. But I'm telling you, if you really open up your mind, that's what we're going to try to do today, there was possibly another actor in the scene. And it could have been evil and it could have been external. And, and again... We're not here really to talk about the devil today. We're here to um, just try to glean some experience about the existence of evil so that God, a God of our understanding, becomes more relevant and less abstract. And that's the key to this deal. Both Christopher and I are members of the 12-step program, and one of our mantras is that there is only one who has all power, and that one is God, and may you find him now. That no human power could relieve our suffering, but only God could and would if he were sought. And I'm telling you, my friend, my experience and countless other people's experiences, that, uh, that the moment we desperately try to seek a God of our understanding, something, something external interfered with with our most desperate attempts to, to get better. So that's my monologue, and I'm sticking to it. I had to give you the who, what, when, how, and why. We're coming to you live recorded from lovely Palm Springs, California, the hotbed of recovery. And, um, and the reason why I'm doing this uh, is I'm just trying to do some 12-step work. And, and, uh, and maybe this hour or two, the newcomer or somebody who's stuck in recovery just might hear, might hear something different that might make the difference about getting closer closer to a God of your understanding uh, and, and acquiring something called God consciousness. Yeah. So Christopher, take a deep breath and, and take us back. You know, this is a long segment before we take a break here and, and um, give us a little history uh, about, your, about your experience down on the very bottom and, and your, earliest, your, your, your earliest memories of trying to, 
to get better, where you were doing something, whether it was alcohol or drugs or something, but you were doing it to some degree that some aspect of your life was unmanageable. What do you think? Well, that's, excuse me, that's easy. Uh, (laughs) I know uh, even before I started to get involved in drugs and alcohol, I I had a lot of behaviors that were extremely um, dark in the sense that I just, and I, and I would always be extremely um, ashamed of them because I was raised in a good family. Um, I had parents that didn't drink, that, that didn't use drugs, that treated me well. and, and uh, But I was just constantly disappointing my parents with things like stealing, lying. Just the whole, it was almost like a syndrome in the sense that like if I saw a sign that said wet paint, I had to touch it. So like if you, I have a very defiant streak in me. So if you tell me not to do something, you can bet I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and by the way, you grew up uh, with a, a fairly uh, healthy religious uh, upbringing yeah, and, and your, yeah. your parents worship and you got the God indoctrination and all that. Absolutely. How'd you feel about that? Did you resist that too? Methodist church. I, I don't know. I, when I, once I turned about 12 or 13, I mean, I was taking alcohol to the, church activities, you know, I mean, it just, um, but I did, I grew up in the church. I went to church every Sunday with my family and, um, didn't really buy into it. I was there. I learned a lot. So Uh, maybe you were acting out at an early age, just as kind of maybe a subconscious protest to this, uh, this, uh, this dogma, uh, that you were being force fed. What do you think? I think, yeah. I think it had a lot, maybe a lot to do with just like I was expected to do and behave a certain way and I didn't ever seem to be able to live up with it and live up to it. And uh, maybe along the line somewhere, I decided that the negative attention was good enough, you know. Mm, and uh, Interesting. So you're opening yourself up to negativity and you were getting some good attention from that, weren't you? I, I guess so. I mean, it's hard. you look back and you wonder, well, why did I do that? And you still look back at things you did when you were a kid, you know, before you even knew what you were doing. You're like, why would I do that? Sure. You know, like, the, probably the, the reason why was because it made us feel good. Yeah, there's even a little a buzz. Days. There is. Yeah. The shoplifting, the stealing. The, the risky behavior know, was yeah, exciting. Yeah. There it was. I never had a need for it. I just I liked the way it made me feel, though, for sure. All right, so you opened yourself up to that that negative vibration at an early age. Okay, like many of us do. It's part of the rite of passage. Absolutely. And, yeah. and it didn't seem to, you couldn't deter me. You couldn't punish me out of it. That was something that I realized right away. It was like my parents would punish me and it just made me more determined to live the way that I wanted to. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you know, when drugs and alcohol became involved, it was just, uh, it was just kind of like throwing gas on the fire, I guess. So how did you finally crash? What, what was the, 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 what was the cause of your, of your initial crash where you hit bottom, whatever your bottom was, however you want to describe it, where you knew you needed to get some help and stop what you were doing. That, w- that would have been your first bottom. Describe that. I didn't get sober until I was uh, 32. And uh, I was very suspicious that I had a problem. I had been exposed to the big book in prison. Uh, and for you know several years before I got put in prison, my parents chased me around and tried to get me into these programs and I just wanted nothing to do with it. I pretty much just dedicated my life to pursuing what I loved, which was to get loaded. And, uh, 
but I got it got really bad quick for me. So, you know, by the time I was 22, I was on the way to prison for the first time. I had caused a fatal accident um, when I was 19, uh, immediately following a stint in a rehab. And right. um, now, let's let's back up because I think you're you're skipping ahead here. Yeah, sounds to me it, it sounds, <laughs> it's a long story. Sound, well, that's okay. We don't. And, and again. By the way, I gotta I gotta do a quick repeat in the middle of this uh, long segment. My name is Toby C, and the name of the show is called The Fourth Dimension. We're here with Christopher M, and we're talking about the subject of evil resistance that many of us experience in early recovery. Whatever early recovery, you know, you know, whatever you define as early recovery, early recovery for many of us is when we've hit bottom, or we're going to prison, or or we just had a real tragic experience. Now I want to back up for a minute with Christopher here. Because you mentioned that you had an accident and there was a fatality involved, and it's when yeah. you were quite young and you had just gotten out of rehab. Immediately okay. following All right. now, my, my big bust with my family. Right. And so you got into rehab. Um, you in, ended up going to rehab on your own volition, or was this something that was suggested by the family or they just wanted to save you? Was it an intervention? It was. Uh, How'd you get into rehab at the very beginning? So I. I had gone off to school in Kansas City. I was from uh, I'm from Houston originally, so I I'd, I'd been drinking and carrying on and getting in trouble, but I made it into college. And when I went away to college, I chose this is probably some of my my dark thinking was to get the hell away from my family because they were very loving, caring parents, and they, I wasn't able to just snow them and just disappear for days on end. And and so. I chose the school that was the farthest away because I didn't want to be governed. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and that was the bottom line. Like, you know, I guess a lot of kids, when they go to school and stuff, they make decisions based on like careers or what they want to study. But mine was like, how do I get away from my parents how, and do what I want? How did you end up in your first rehab? Was it a nudge from the judge? Was it court ordered? Was it, uh, no, the first one wasn't. My parents caught me with a load of dope mm -hmm. and, uh, I was I was smuggling dope from Houston to Kansas City and uh, and I'd been doing that up there while I was there through the mail, and then when I came home, I sort of created a vacuum, and so I started sending it to my buddy and my parents caught me with a big load of marijuana that I was mailing to my my friend and his father happened to be my brother's fraternity brother, and he recognized the name and he was just like something's funny going on and they opened up the box and it there was, it was yeah okay. So. So your parents were absolutely devastated, and they said, "Christopher, you need help." Yeah. And 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 what did you say? Yeah. Okay. <sighs> you just kind of wanted to I avoid the options. shame. I, it was you know, do I sit there and deal with this shame and this guilt and this nagging, or do I just acquiesce and go to rehab? Was that was that what it was all about? I wasn't self sufficient at the time, so, so you needed them. I, I mean, I guess I could. I, I I think I was standing on the on the precipice of, okay, you can say, you know, screw you guys and run off and depend on dealing drugs. But I wasn't that far into it. I didn't think that I could get away with it or I wasn't ready to just throw my life to the wind at that point. Mm -hmm. And so they were like, you've got to get help. And if you don't get help, we're not going to pay for anything. I love it. So, so, so what you're really describing here, Christopher is, is yeah, even, even at that moment, there was no dependence on, on, on a God of your understanding or None. dependence on a higher power. You're dependence on your on your parents. And if they said go yep. to go to rehab because you didn't want to experience shame or, or, or risk getting thrown out on the street and fending for yourself, 
That's what it was. They were your higher power. Boy, there, there it is. There's some evil resistance in the earliest moments of recovery. You know you needed help. You're getting a bad message from somebody who uh, there was some toxic, passive-aggressive thing going on, as there often is in the dysfunctional family system. There it is. So, you know, when we come back after this break, I want, I want to continue going back to, to that earliest moment uh, in recovery or rehab and, uh, and some of the bad directions or the bad advice that you, that you uh, accepted and some of the, the tragedies that befell you and other people, um, maybe as a result of this bad advice, maybe not. But none, nonetheless, um, it was a very traumatic, discouraging experience. And, and I want you to go ahead and, and, um, and rest up and really lay it on. Because the next segment's only six minutes before the bottom of the hour, Christopher. So uh, <laughs> lay it on, baby. Again, my name is Toby C. And this show is called The Fourth Dimension. We talk about, uh, talk about evil resistance that many of us experience in our earliest attempts to get better and recover from suffering and misery. We're going to be right back with Christopher M. here on The Fourth Dimension. If you enjoy our message, then please visit us at itmtoby.com. the imagination to take us places we might be afraid to go. You are entering the fourth dimension with Toby C. There is no such thing as coincidences. Here's Toby. Okay, we're back with Christopher M. here on the fourth dimension with Toby C. concept show. And uh, this is a recovery show. And I'm telling you, you may, have, you may hear us talk about drug and alcohol abuse, uh, but I'm telling you, if you listen carefully, this show can pertain to anybody who's suffering and in real misery and is trying to get better, because what we're talking about here is not so much God, we're talking about the antithesis of God. We're talking about the devil, okay? And by the way, we're just trying to have a very healthy uh, understanding um, about the presence of evil, okay? Because trust me, there's two, there's two extreme behaviors. One extreme behavior is to disbelieve in the existence of evil, okay? That's called denial. And the other extreme behavior is to have an, an excessive, unhealthy interest in Satan. And that ain't this show either. We just want to be open-minded and take a journey back to what was really going on. And Christopher is about to share with us what was really going on in his first experience in, um, in rehabilitation, uh, in, in recovery. He was young. And um, and take us back on that experience and and what happened there, Christopher. I think so. It, the way I remember those days were, you know, tremendous shame. Still wanting to, to I didn't really want to separate from my family. I couldn't walk away from them. And, and you know, they offered me treatment, and I decided that that was the best option at that time. And uh, I wasn't really sold on it 
I didn't really want to get sober. I just didn't want to disappoint my family. And I went to treatment and they, you know, they diagnosed me as an alcoholic and, uh, poly substance abuse. I was basically just a drunk and I would do anything that came in front of me. Um, and, uh, so they put that, I did that for like, I don't know, I think it was a 30 day program. And during that time I saw this doctor one time, he was the attending physician and, uh, on exit, he talked with my parents and said, you know, your son has a really bad attention deficit problem and we're going to test him and find out if that's true. And so they tested me and I didn't sure enough, I was off the charts, ADD. And, uh, and I, I just remember kind of thinking like, you know, well, that explains my bad grades, you know? And, uh, because I was always, I, I had a good IQ. I, I tested well on things that I was interested in, but, um, did anybody plant that idea in your head that, that maybe this ADHD was a result of your bad grades? Or did you just come up with that? Because where I'm leading to this is maybe somebody, if not you, concluded that maybe you didn't have a drinking problem and maybe you're ADHD. What do you think? Well, yeah, I think it was like a great thing to use as a diversion from the real problem, I think. You know, like the real problem, I think, in reality, looking back, was that I had a major drug and alcohol problem. But, but when, they, when he diagnosed me with this disorder, he gave me a prescription for Ritalin. So I literally walked out of, uh, rehabilitation center with a prescription for Ritalin, which was, I found out almost immediately was just like a low grade speed. And, uh, when I took it, you know, I'm not really aware of like this recovery stuff in the big book. It felt pretty good though. Oh yeah. I took it and I immediately thought that's great. And I took another one, you know, so I doubled down. Did you stop drinking? I wasn't drinking. There you go. So you But did... I had my thing. You okay, see but, what I'm but, saying? But I, I get it. But but you successfully stopped drinking. That was the point, wasn't it? You went to rehab. Why? To stop drinking. You got out of rehab, Christopher, and what'd you do? You stopped drinking, didn't you? Good on you. But you're a junkie all of a sudden on Ritalin. Yeah, and so, so now I'm getting all, uh, kind of crazy with that stuff. I'm going back to junior college to fix my grades from the previous year. And, uh, I can't remember the exact time frame, but initially, so what ended up happening was I figured out that if you crush them up and snort them, that it's even better and it works faster. And, uh, and I, so I started doing that and I, I got in my, I had a, a lot to do at school that day. I was taking a full load and I got up in the morning and I crushed up a couple pills and I snorted them and I got in my car and I headed off to the, to, to the junior college. And then this is about a 12 mile drive or something. And when I got to the town preceding the, the, the college, uh, I was going through an intersection, um, four lanes, one turn lane in the middle. I was doing about 60 miles an hour. I think the speed limit was 45. And uh, there was a turn, there was a car facing me with a blinker on in the turn lane. And I was in the, the, uh, the middle lane and um, I proceeded through what I perceived to be a, a green light. And when I got to maybe a hundred feet from the intersection, the car literally just turned right in front of me. And, uh, the, the last thing I really remember was just hitting the brakes, not understanding what was going on. I remember the seatbelt snapping across my chest. And, um, uh, I remember the passenger in the front seat looking at me through the window and then my hood crumpling up and then my body flying forward, my legs and my arms flying forward and the seatbelt snapping me back and throwing me against the, uh, the seat and knocking me out. 
So the impact speed was about 47, I think. And uh, the next thing I remember was a police officer shaking me. Okay, you got to, you got to, sorry, we're going to keep you on the edge of your seat, listeners, but we're going to be back with Christopher M. talking about evil resistance, evil experiences that happen in early recovery like so many of us experience. I'm Toby C. The name of the show is called The Fourth Dimension with Toby C. We're going to be right back after this break. message, then please visit us at itmtoby.com. Making sense out of nonsense. Making you as curious and uncomfortable as possible with the truth. You've landed in the fourth dimension with Toby C., Okay, we're going to be uh, continuing here with Christopher M. Man, we cut you off right at the right at the most critical moment. Hey, if you're just joining us, you know we talk about evil resistance that many of us experience in early recovery. My name is Toby C. I'm the host. The name of the show is The Fourth Dimension. That's Christopher M. Chewing the ice in the background there. This is live recorded. Uh, we we go with it all, man. You get everything. I had a buddy the other day. He started his Honda 600 motorcycle outside the, the door here, you know. And, and I had the do not disturb recording the sign on. So take us. Uh, so what happened, Christopher? There it is, man. What it what you're, you're having this experience, this this out of body, surreal experience, this this horrific accident at this intersection. Take a deep breath, man. Continue. So the the police officer was shaking me and he was yelling, you've killed someone. And, uh, I don't remember that very clearly. Um, the next thing I remember was waking up in a hospital bed and there were two officers pulling my blood. And, uh, I don't know if you've seen that movie flight with, I think it's Denzel Washington. I've heard of it, but I haven't seen it. Yeah. So he wakes up, he wakes up in the scene and the scene is them pulling his blood and you're hearing his inner dialogue. And I remember it. Uh, it was the exact same as this movie. When I watched the movie, I was like, oh my God, that's exactly what it was what, like. What was the inner dialogue? What, what the was inner dialogue on? was, oh my God, do they know? Wow. So immediately self, You're thinking am, about I, yourself. am I caught? Right, right, right. Uh, uh, along with a million other thoughts like, oh my God, I've killed someone. I've taken someone's life. You're horrible. You're a murderer. This yeah. type of, yeah. you And know. by the way, did they say somebody died? Yeah. Or did they say you killed someone? You killed someone. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, how nice. Mm. Yeah. Wow. And, uh, and, and so what ended up happening was that that drug was not tested for as a toxicant, intoxicant. And, and so they get, I came back. Clean. So they're testing for opioids or, they're or testing maybe for drugs, for drugs and um, and alcohol. Right. Alcohol. And there wasn't any alcohol. And I came back clean, mm-hmm. and and I decided right there and then I would never tell a soul about what had actually happened, and I kept that to myself, and it just destroyed me. Um, 
for years. And I started having PTSD, re-seeing the accident over and over on a daily basis. And I went back to using. And uh, It's like a a scene out of the Twilight Zone. Yeah, and I I said this earlier was I wasn't... I didn't really want to throw my family away, but I'm telling you, I was so miserable. Then the drugs became so important to me that I was willing to walk away from my entire life at that point. So I, t- I totally dedicated my life to dealing drugs and Perfect. just creating I, havoc. So what you're describing, Christopher, possibly is, um, is that at that moment, um, you experienced uh, unimaginable, immeasurable shame. Yeah, and um, and and nobody was going to know that it was your secret, but there it lingered, and and let me ask you this, you know, and and maybe you know maybe your demon that you carried around that robbed you of a decade of your life before you really At got least, your yeah. shit together, you know, there there was your demon, there's your ghost story, that that shame that you had to wake up to every morning, man. Let me ask you this: Did that shame give you an overwhelming and compelling reason to keep you loaded every freaking day? Yeah, it went from fun and times to, um, as soon as I got up, I got drunk or I I used and and I stayed that way all day. And that mm-hmm. worked for a little bit. It mm-hmm. didn't really. It made me able to cope with the shame. Exactly. And then there came a point where it didn't work it anymore. It didn't. And and when you know, the, and so this ten year period. Uh, six months later, I'm busted by the Harris County Sheriff's Department. I'm raided. I'm caught with an apartment full of drugs. I catch three felony dope cases. And and you were drinking by this time. I'm drinking a half gallon of vodka, half gallon of of blue label Smirnoff. You're you're on fire. Every day. You're on fire. And I'm using cocaine Mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm using a lot of pills. I'm doing, I'm, Mm. you know, I'm just totally loaded. And uh, so they, they the kicked pr- my door in and I went to prison. So I, I, what ended up happening on that arrest for the car accident was I was charged with criminally negligent homicide. Um, I probably had no contest. I was given five years probation and six months later I was raided by the, the drug task force and the sheriff's office and, and busted with like 15 pounds of pot and a couple ounces of cocaine and a sheet of acid. And I just, the, there was no bond. I was on felony probation already. So I went straight to jail, straight to prison. Mm-hmm. And uh, how many how many years were you in prison? I did four that mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. I did four of five, and when and when I got there, things got really bad because it was just an evil place. And uh, were you ashamed to be there? Oh, absolutely. So I mean, so it just it just just it just fed the the the, the flames of shame, didn't well, it? Well, it's just, just mind blowing when you just, get in there and you see how human beings are treated in inside the penitentiary, and you realize that like you're basically treated like cattle, and you know they feed you and they clothe you, but like they just put you in a pen with a bunch mm-hmm. of other angry, <laughs> pissed off drug users that don't have any life skills, and uh, any, you know anything goes in there. I mean, that's pretty much the bottom line: is anything goes. And uh, you see a lot of really evil, violent stuff. And uh, you're also just terrified. And, and you also, there's a survival instinct that kicks in and says, you have to do what it takes to survive here. And I wasn't from the streets. I was a big, strong kid. I mean, I'm 6'5". At the time, I'm 6'5", 185, because yeah. I'm sucked up from drugs. But I, I quickly gained maybe 60 pounds. And So you, you were really experiencing evil. Oh, on levels that I couldn't have imagined before. I mean, I I was a college student from a uh, white-collar family. uh I had no experience in this realm Mm -hmm. 
So in other words, uh, if you were going to find a God of your understanding, if you were going to really get some assistance from a, a power greater than yourself, it was going to come at a terrible price, wasn't it? It was going to come uh, hammered, where they say, hammered out on the anvils of experience and pain. And, uh, and I remember you, praying. You went through pain, man. I remember praying. and, uh, and In prison? Oh, yeah. Uh, and uh, get me out of this one. Mm -hmm. I'll do anything. I'll do yeah. anything. But you know what? The drugs were there. Sure. Oh, <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I did, I did, I was young and tough and, and just learned to live there. And, and, and after, after about 18 months in, in the penitentiary, you, just, you pretty much become somewhat institutionalized in the sense that it just seems normal. Uh, you don't really want to communicate with the outside world anymore because it's too painful and you just deal with what's in front of you. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Hold that thought. If you're just joining us, my name is Toby C. The name of the show is called The Fourth Dimension. I'm the host. We're here with Christopher M. Like we do every show in The Fourth Dimension, we talk about evil resistance that many of us experience during our earliest attempts at recovery. And right now we're talking with Christopher, uh, who uh, apparently... Your demon, it sounds to me like, was the demon of shame, uh, and 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 something even deeper than shame, because it sounds to me like, and again, we we understand today that uh, only God could and would if He were sought, and and you had a, uh, you just described a very similar experience that I had, where in our most utter desperate moments, despite what was going on around us, we had a moment where we really cried out to God to help us, you know, that we'd do anything. But for some peculiar reason, Christopher, we just, you know, I don't know about you, but I, I never honored that agreement. You know, for some reason, I got, I got distracted by, uh, by sex, drugs, and rock and roll, or some, some distraction was out there that kept me from honoring my, my agreement, uh, despite all the suffering and the misery and the pain that I went through. Was that your experience, too? Yeah, the, you know, I... I so I kind of, I, I was observing what was going on around me and I was like, well, it's not going to get me anywhere to, to throw up the Christian flag around here. You know what I'm saying? This, the, <laughs> they're gonna, they're kicking those guys heads in on the regular. And, uh, did they have AA in prison? They, they, they did have a, not very much. Um, maybe like once a month you could, and, and it was so hard to get to and, and kind of controlled. It was kind so any event like that in the penitentiary system was used as a way for the gang members to communicate between pods. So like all the pods would get to go to this meeting. And so it, it wasn't what I would call a productive AA meeting. No. Um, and, and, but I, I would go just to get out of the tank or, and go, you know, I got involved in gangs as well. And, and, uh, for survival, you yeah. Four well, years. you know, I just was bored. I didn't. I don't know if I ever felt like if I needed to do it. I just finally, when they took my parole away, and you know, I got involved in a riot. Mm -hmm. I got backed into a corner. I got my parole taken away from me for getting out of my bed and defending myself. And when they took my parole date, I was like, well, you know what? You got okay. You're gonna keep me for five years. You're gonna earn that. And I just really went headlong into. <laughs> I don't really give a shit. You know what I mean? Well, you can't, you can't ah. put me in jail again. <laughs> and I just went and, nuts. And ambivalence. Yeah. When you ain't got nothing, you ain't got nothing to lose. And, yeah. uh, and that's, that's, a, that's an attitude for sure. So, so you, the real tragedy that, that followed you around 
the shameful tragedy was was this woman losing her life in this in this terrible mm-hmm. car accident, mm-hmm. and that maybe maybe uh, your condition uh, had something to do with it. But again, as we as we've discussed, and I'm sure you've contemplated before, you even said so that uh, that it could have just it could have happened under any circumstances, but it just happened to be that you were loaded, and you knew it, and and there it uh, it was an itch that you just kept needing to scratch, wasn't it? It made me feel irredeemable, if that makes sense. I didn't think that there was any hope in my life from from that point on. From from the I mean, I'm an, I'm an extremely loving, caring person. I was brought up in a great family. When I took someone's life, it just destroyed me. And so I just said, all right, if there's no rules, there's no rules. You know, if there's, there's no, <laughs> I'm not going to heaven. So I'm going to do whatever I want. You How know? interesting. Yeah. I gave so, up on that. So, whole so, thing. so this pitiful, incomprehensible shame really led to ambivalence and hopelessness, didn't it, Christopher? Completely, I was destroyed. Okay, so and and if you ain't got nothing to live for, then uh, then you know, party on. Party yeah, it just you know, right? just headlong into hedonism and, and yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, and which which again is just opening ourselves up to more negative and evil and and uh, and and we even described that that may have been happening early on as a resistance of this uh, force-fed uh, uh, dogma and doctrine of of uh, you know. Uh, ecumenical force feeding. So possibly, yeah. You know, look at kind of, so you know when I I ended up going to prison twice, ten years of my life, in and out of the of the penitentiary, on the streets, dealing drugs, completely addicted to opiates and alcohol, cocaine. Went back to prison for the second time. Now I'd been getting forced into AA meetings at this point, but by my parole officer, but I was making no progress. I got busted again. 2006, I went back to the penitentiary on a morphine cocaine charge. I did a year, and then I started going, I can't do this anymore. All right, perfect time for a break. We're going to be right back with Christopher M. I'm Toby C. I'm the host. The name of the show is called The Fourth Dimension. The uh, the theme of this show is we talk about evil resistance, the devil, negative paranormal energy, whatever you want to call it, man, bad luck. But we, we get it on here at the Fourth Dimension with Toby C. And we're really mashing it out with Christopher. We're going to be right back after this break for our final segment of Hour One on the Fourth Dimension with Toby C. with Christopher M. Be right back. If you enjoy our message, then please visit us at itmtoby.com. Welcome to the Fourth Dimension with Toby C., where participants dare to disclose bizarre experiences that occur in early recovery, the battle between good and evil, of God and of the occult the psychic challenges we all encounter when trying to do the right thing. Now, here's Toby. Hey, it's me. It's Toby. I'm back. Oh, yeah. Hour two with Christopher M. Better believe it. You have entered the fourth dimension with Toby C. Hey, check this out. You unlock the door with the key of imagination. Beyond it is another dimension, a dimension of sound, a dimension of sight, 
a dimension of mind. You're moving into a land of both shadow and substance, of things and ideas. You just crossed over into the fourth dimension. Actually, it's from the Twilight Zone. Do you recognize that? Yeah. How you doing? Welcome back. I'm Toby C. The name of the show is The Fourth Dimension. It's a concept show. And um, the concept is you're not going to hear a lot about God during the next hour when we talk about recovery from drugs and alcohol and anything that you might be suffering from or somebody you love might be suffering from. Instead, this hour, we're going to be talking about, as we do every show in the fourth dimension, the antithesis of God. We're going to be talking about the devil. We're going to be talking about Satan. We're going to be talking about the dark angel, negative paranormal experiences, whatever you want to call it. But what we're trying to do is capture what happens in early recovery. When somebody decides, when we decide, when I decide to get better, something external happened. Although at the time it was happening, I was probably too sick to understand it. And now what we're doing in every show and what we're going to continue doing here with Christopher M. is we're going back in time to his earliest memories, his earliest experiences in recovery he's sharing with us and trying to pinpoint evil, negative external experiences that really discouraged us and kept us from getting better. So, so there it is, you know, Christopher M. Welcome back, man, for hour number two. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, last hour, uh, was a, was a pretty hairy hour. We, we, we covered a lot of territory, um, some trauma, uh, some, some life changing experiences, you know, um, I think we finished it off with, with your fifth step. You finally, when all the dust settled, uh, you were finally over to, you were finally able to overcome uh, this shame cycle and you were finally able to get honest with with another person and you got some relief and you did your fifth step and uh, and all of a sudden recovery started to work for you didn't it it did <clears throat> the uh, it was an undeniable experience as I was carrying uh, so the first thing that uh, that happened to me was that I was absolutely uh, blown away that there was so much power in telling someone the whole truth and uh it was overwhelming i felt undeniable relief after my fifth step and uh like i had never had before like i, w I mean i was suffering from ptsd i was seeing this accident over and over i was reliving like the these terrible things in my life and uh when i when i did that and i told nick the whole truth about the situation uh, your sponsor yeah. my sponsor yeah mm -hmm. it I, I didn't realize it right away but what i never had any more of these episodes where i kept reliving the accident <clears throat> and uh i felt so light i i i mean you know you don't realize how heavy this stuff is until it goes away because it's, you know, it's sort of like the, the frog and the pot of water analogy where he stays in there. If you start him off on lukewarm and you warm it up, he just stays in there until he boils. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I'd become very accustomed to just living with it. And, uh, and you didn't think really anything could really relieve your suffering. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden you found a man who you trusted that was in a program and you tapped into a power, an incredible power, didn't you? That gave you such relief. Absolutely. And uh, I became very suspicious that AA was working. <laughs> and it, it was really... Uh, you, it, you tapped into a power, but you weren't sure what this power was all about. I wasn't. About. I didn't know what it was. I didn't understand it, but I felt it. And uh, 
and you believed it. I believed that I was getting, I knew that I was getting relief and, uh, and I had never had any, so it was just life changing. And, um, it, so I went from this person that literally did the steps because I, my, my real thought was I'm going to do all this stuff exactly the way they tell me to do it. And then I'm going to get up at the end of the year and say, it didn't work. Now what, you know, like I told you and I, and that started to fall apart immediately when I did my fifth step. And I carried on and kept doing work with Nick religiously. And uh, things just got undeniably better. But I was, I, I still didn't have any discernment between who was well and who was sick. Uh, How interesting. Let me just interject something here, Chris, Christopher. You believed in a power, you experienced a power from this man, from your sponsor, from this fellowship that he was in. You didn't you, you experienced it, you believed it, you felt it. But did you at that moment realize that this was the power of God? Or was this just the power of this fellowship and this man and this and this mysterious fellowship that he was part of? Well, I think the first thing that came with it was I became very suspicious that this God thing could be real. Uh, and I also made the assumption that, oh, everybody at AA is doing this and having this experience, and therefore they are all God-loving, on the same path as me, can all be trusted. And, uh, and uh, many of the people I met along the way to this day I can still trust, but I also ran into a lot of characters and uh you know i started working i started to be able to go to work i started um i started working for a business and we started doing uh, work for some of my some of the other people in my club and, and immediately started running into people that were hiring me and not paying me at the AA club you know there you go and <laughs> it was very very <laughs> discouraging i mean to go to a meeting and listen to somebody talk about spirituality and you're staring at them across the table and they owe you 350 bucks <laughs> how, in how interesting and this was a group that you trusted yeah now if you're, if you're out in the real world and somebody stitches some for some work that's one thing but it hurts extra deep when it comes from somebody you trust. And the point I'm trying to make here, Christopher, is, remember, it's trust God, clean house, help others. That's kind of our mantra in the 12-step program. Trust God, clean house, help others. Did you trust God or were you trusting another man and trusting, you know, uh, the you know people within the fellowship? Were you putting, in other words, the answer is pretty evident. You were, you were really trusting the the personalities and the, and the fallible members of this fellowship. Yeah. It and you didn't did. know it at the time. It hadn't occurred to me that there's people hanging out in AA that aren't doing the work and they're just the same people that they were when they showed up. They it don't get better, do surprise. they? Yeah. yeah. Some people just kind of, they stall out. They, they're dry. They're kind of doing the deal. Yeah. Hey, by the way, if you're just joining us for this long segment, my name is Toby C. name of the show is called The Fourth Dimension. We're here with Christopher M. We're talking about evil resistance that many people encounter during our earliest experiences in recovery. Evil in the sense that it's external. It's something, it's him or her or it or, or the experience, but it's something very discouraging that, uh, 
that makes us question whether or not we're really on the right track. And you certainly had that experience there, Christopher. Uh, early on, you were trusting God by trusting the fellowship and trusting the members within the fellowship, and you got burned, didn't you? Yeah, I think, and then that's inevitable in life. So, you know, and the, the good far outweighed the bad. But It's I, fine, but it's not supposed to happen yeah, in AA. Yeah, I was very it's, angry. You know? I was very angry about it. Did you feel it. like you were surrounded by a bunch of freaking hypocrites all of a sudden? That's how I started to feel, you know, after several months. I had three or four people in the room that had burned me or something, and, mm -hmm. and, uh, and, uh. That wasn't an inside job. That affected your, your bottom line, didn't it? It it made it on it made me because I was I was going to AA because I felt safe there I was hiding in AA from from the world and and I was learning things that were making me feel better and I so it was my refuge and so when that started to happen I started to be suspicious that you know like something's not right here they violated the sanctity of AA it was supposed to be a sanctified holy place where people got better not where people took advantage and hurt one another well yeah and 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 so it was funny the way that worked itself out was uh this guy he's a a speaker and he went around all over the country talking and he came to talk at our club and it was a local club it was a few miles away and his whole group came with him and they came in and I knew some of them, but they all showed up together. They were all extremely, uh, just very happy. They were very kind and, uh, they got along, you know, they seemed like they were getting along great. And I just thought, wow, these guys are kind of making my home group look like a bunch of grumps. And, uh, and so they invited me to come over and I said, all right. And I did, I, I went and checked it out and I, and I met a new sponsor over there. So Christopher changed home groups. Now there's a takeaway, you know, listeners. If there's, if you're out there and you have a loved one who's stuck, and they're really pissed off with their 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 group therapy, their home group, and I don't care if you're an AA or any recovery program, but there's something, something I promise you, and it's something external that wants to push Christopher, and push Toby, and push you away from a loving group of unified people trying to get better. There's the deal. And, uh, and it happens all the time. And the takeaway that, that so many of us have is, man, I'm, I really trusted these people, and they turned out to be a bunch of hypocrites, you know? And they violated the sanctity of my recovery, and now where do I go? Did you? So fortunately, you didn't have to answer that, now where do I go? You had another home group to jump to, didn't you? Yeah, I slowly migrated over to this other club. And, and it wasn't everybody over there. My sponsor was great. I loved him. but I was ha So I, I took these, these issues to some people that I met over there that I, I found to be on track. And I felt like they were doing what they were supposed to do. And I got involved with a new uh, sponsor. And uh, it was kind of funny because then he direct, he's like, it does, you don't like, you're really upset about this money. And I'm like, yeah, those people are in AA, they're supposed to pay me, man. And he's like, okay, well, let's take a look at your debts. And I was like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, uh, and I, and so well, the reason I was attracted to this guy was that I owed a lot of money. You know, I owed a 75 or $80,000 um, from bad loan. It turns out when you borrow money and don't pay it back, that's stealing too. And, yeah. uh, and just being a criminal, I owed a bunch of money, and I told tell him this guy about this, and he was like, "Well, you know, uh, when I was when I got sober 20 years ago, I owed a million dollars to the IRS, and they were taking everything I had, and I'm today I'm free and clear. He's sober for about 20 years, and uh, his wife was the financial administrator of the the family, and she sat down and she taught me how to manage money, and we went on this really we got really hardcore into paying these amends." 
and I started to, uh, I started to pay back my debts and, 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 and again, in the ninth step, I was blown away because I started getting more relief. And I, at that point I was connected with the, the dots were put together and I was like, this is about God. And the, the closer I get with my fellow human being, uh, and these people that I owe, the better I feel and the more connection I feel with God. And so I, over a period of like two years, I paid off all my debts. What Christopher is talking about are the promises, the miracle of recovery. Good things happen. But I'll tell you, we're not going to let Christopher run with all the beautiful godlike things that happen in recovery. We're going <laughs> to back up and go back to evil experiences that, that kept us from getting better. But we're moving right along. Stand by. We're going to be right back. My name is Toby C. The name of the show is called The Fourth Dimension. We're going to be right back with Christopher M. talking about evil resistance in early recovery. If you enjoy our message, then please visit us at itmtoby.com. the imagination to take us places we might be afraid to go. You are entering the fourth dimension with Toby C. There is no such thing as coincidences. Here's Toby. You know, the point of this program is to talk about evil, to talk about evil resistance that many of us experience in early recovery. The reason why we talk about the devil is that if the figure of the devil is missing, then one also loses sight of the figure of God itself. In this program, the 12-step program, like many programs in recovery, they talk about um, overcoming self-consciousness by acquiring God-consciousness, by getting out of self, by moving away from self-centeredness and self-consciousness and moving towards something called God-consciousness. So that's all we're trying to do. We're trying to make God real by talking about real evil. And, and evil uh, disguises itself in so many different forms, especially in early recovery. And one of the areas that we're exploring with Christopher here is um, is the fellowship, you know, the evil that uh, that exists within the fellowship itself, you know. Um, it's recovery is a is a miraculous process. The twelve step uh, program really worked well for me, and as it does for many people. But it's not a smooth journey. It's not a smooth journey, man. There's a lot of bumps in the road, and those bumps in the road are are men and women. Okay, friendships and relationships, sexual, non sexual, intimate, non intimate. But but there they are, man. Let's get into a couple more bumps in the road there, Christopher. On on unhealthy relationships and recovery. How about that? Well, it's, it's pretty easy. I mean, they, they, they happen. Uh, I was, I was kind of chuckling cause as you were saying that I was thinking, uh, so I, you know, I'm at my new club, I'm making progress. My life is getting better. I've been sober for about two years and, um, and I, because of this debt, I, I was so driven to pay this debt. Um, I took this job from another fellow that was over at the other club and, and, um, what I found was um, that it offered me the money that I wanted, that I needed to pay this. It was a traveling job. And that's how I ended up out here, actually, in California. But I went and I worked for this guy for a couple of years, but I, 
I realized after working for him for a couple of years, this guy was doing a lot of really wacko stuff. And um, the, for instance, after I worked for almost a year and I'd been paid maybe a hundred thousand dollars, I got my my tax paperwork back and it said I'd been paid twenty four. And I was like, well, you know, at first I thought this is great, and I went and told my sponsor, and he's like, no, this isn't great because <laughs> you're being fraudulent with the IRS and uh, you can't buy anything because nobody thinks you have any money, you know? And he's like, we don't do this. And I'm like, yeah, but he's an AA. And it's like, yeah, well, you know. Uh, so, you know, I, I don't want to go too far into detail, but again, I was disappointed. Um, so there it is. You know, the, 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 the reoccurring theme that Christopher is talking about is unrealistic expectations that so many of us have when we get into recovery, yeah. especially when it comes to the people that we're depending on to help us get better. And remember, gang, people do not help us get better. It's God, as he expresses himself through other people, is what gets us better ultimately. But in early recovery, so many of us don't understand this God uh, connection, you know. We can understand that you got better, and I believe you got better, and I believe you can get me better. So there's there's the relationship, you know. And um, give us another example um, with the time remaining in this short segment before the bottom of the hour of uh, of another of another of another disappointing uh, relationship friendship um, experience you had with a sponsor or somebody you you respected in recovery that made you second guess whether or not you're in the right group. Do you, you remember know, that? I, I I think. One of the really, really hard things for me was my original sponsor um, ended up relapsing, and he had a cancer, and and he started taking the um, the pain meds, and he got completely junked out, and that was really hard for me because I my, I felt like my life I felt indebted to this man, you know, and I was off traveling, and this guy was calling me, this guy who had saved my life and was like my hero, like he was my hero. He'd been sober for 17 years. And he was uh, strung out on, you know, fentanyl and, and heavy stuff. And uh, I just, you know. That was pretty confusing, wasn't it? It was very confusing. It was very painful because I felt responsible. Like I wanted to do something for him, but, it, you know, you can't. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we would I would send people after him and he would refuse the help. And it, it was mm -hmm. just a very confusing thing. And, I you know, I guess it just led me back to the, to the, uh, people are fallible thing you know yeah but maybe at that moment christopher you were thinking gee is this a preview of coming attractions is this what i have to look forward to Absolutely. is this really what a sober life uh, uh uh has in store for me and uh, and it was very discouraging wasn't it it was you were thinking you were thinking maybe you know maybe <laughs> maybe i maybe i quit too early maybe i got out of the game a little too early here if this is really what i have to look forward to right so, uh, yeah, I, uh, you know, I got through it. I remained sober, but, um, it was heavy on my heart all the time. Um, that, you know, the, the amazing thing was that I always found the good to offset the evil, but I always put myself in a position and I think to get a heavy heart greed, yeah. I think because I just looked at things, dollars and cents. We're going to be right back with Christopher M. My name is Toby C. name of the show is called The Fourth Dimension. Talking about evil resistance that many of us encounter during our earliest uh, experiences in recovery when we try to get better. We're going to be right back with Christopher M. Stand by. 
If you enjoy our message, then please visit us at itmtoby.com. Making sense out of nonsense. Making you as curious and uncomfortable as possible with the truth. You've landed in the fourth dimension with Toby C. Well, I'll tell you, there's no question about it. I'm going to let Christopher run with most of this segment, but some of the most evil, negative, discouraging experiences that we can have in recovery is relationships with other people in recovery. That includes our sponsor, that includes our peers, that includes elder statesmen that we look up to, that includes members of the opposite sex. Just the the whole cornucopia of society is embodied within the group, the kinship of common suffering. It's there. It's just as sick as out there, but it's really sick inside there. Christopher, take us on a little tour of, of your relationship experiences, your discouraging, evil, if you will, uh, um, disappointing relationships in early recovery. That's pretty easy. That's probably the second thing. Or, or, or The other big thing that plagued me was that I could not leave the girls alone. And, uh, I, uh, and you know, in my life, from in my prime, I spent most of my prime in, in prison, my 20s. And, uh, so, and, and AA, there's, is a, it's a weird thing, but AA is the only place in the world where like, if you go to prison, you're like more you're popular because of it. Yeah. You're more popular. They love it. The girls star. love it for some reason. And uh, that's yeah. not the case anywhere else, really. I mean, uh, to be honest with you. And, uh, but I, I, uh, I continually got involved with, um, girls from the club that were newly sober and, uh, you know, the, the trouble that comes with that is just tremendous. And, uh, and I would pick out a girl based on the way she looks and get involved with her sexually. And then slowly over a short period, realize that I don't really like this girl. You know what I mean? Like, I just don't, there's nothing about her I like other than her appearance. And, uh, so that was, uh, Hey, you know, Recovery can be, life can be a lonely experience. Recovery can be a lonely experience. We want to be close to somebody. We need companionship. We need friends. We need fellowship. I get it. But still, you you didn't pick one. You didn't pick a healthy one. Ever. And and not and let's not don't give yourself so much credit that you had a bad picker, that you're incapable of, <laughs> of, of picking a healthy one. She, the devil showed up in a short miniskirt. And hot legs and a smoking hot body and uh, and never mind, man. You know, it's 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 instincts on rampage. Well, my problem is is that I when that when that girl walks in, I see it as a blessing. <laughs> and it's not; it's the opposite. Well, and uh, but you know, I, I was guided through. I mean, I had some of the most crazy experiences with with. Um, and and the other thing that that would do is that would totally divert my attention from my recovery, ah. completely divert. So I would get, I not only am I sick, I would get sicker as soon as I got into one of these relationships, and things would go bad quickly. You know, beautiful. You know, it's almost biblical. It says that the reason why we want to be alert and sober of mind is the devil uh, prowls around like a like a lion looking for a, a soul or a vulnerable spirit to devour, and when we're distracted. 
We're not on our toes and alert, are we? And there's nothing more distracting than him or her when they walk in the door and, and our, our heart starts to pound and our groin gets hot. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and I definitely had that. Uh, looking back, this is, it's easy to look back and see, like you do, you have this instinct to like, um, procreate, you know, and, uh, and it was definitely a haywire. And, uh, and, and I'm just, as an example of the, the, probably the, the craziest one was I had a girlfriend, I'd met her, she was way younger than me. She was sober for a couple years. And I think within a 24 hour period, I realized that she had slept with my sponsee who was like 18 and my sponsor who was 63 <laughs> and, and I just like was blown away, you know, uh, she was a giver. Yeah. She was a lover. And, uh, <laughs> God bless her soul. I hope she's well, but yeah, but still it, it, it just, it was another disappointing, it was a painful experience. It was another disappointing yeah, experience. It was a painful experience. Christopher, you trusted somebody, you trusted another person in recovery and they disappointed you. Not only did you trust this person, but they distracted you. They really distracted you. And, um, and quite often, you know, evil, the antithesis of God, a loving God wants us to get better, man. And there's something that doesn't want us to get better. And it wants to throw all kinds of interference in the way. And there it was. You know, what a clear example of, uh, of interference. It walked in the room. You didn't order it. So it yeah, was right there. I would do it over and over too. And, um, I never had any long-term relationships. They would always last a few months. And then I would go on this, uh, I would go on this, uh, crusade to stay out of relationships, uh, and focus on my recovery and, and spend my time like with men in AA and, and which would lead me to the assumption that after I'd done this for a year or something, and gotten over all this discomfort that I was somehow changed and different, you know, and I'd be better and I'd get into another relationship that was exactly like the last one. And it would happen over and over. And in those periods, in those growth periods between relationships, I did a lot of work and I got a lot of relief. But uh, I can tell you that that the desire or the fall or the whatever it was in me that kept leading me into these things, um, it didn't go away. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's still a part of me today. And, uh, let me ask you this, Christopher, did you experience, um, in early recovery boredom? Oh yeah. All right. And, and, uh, did dating and relationships and the opposite sex kind of, uh, uh, alleviate some of that boredom. They, it was it, a complete it, refute. Like, yeah, it, it was it made just it, like made hiding it, out. It made it more interesting, you know, Ugh. or so you thought. I mean, there's different ways to make recovery interesting, okay? But, <laughs> oh, I, <did. laughs> I made hey, it interesting. By the way, there's a lot of different ways to make life interesting, isn't there? Yeah. And there's good ways and there's not so good ways. And, um, and our default, unfortunately, even in early recovery, is to pick maybe the, the not so good ways to keep things interesting. And, um, what do you think? Was that, was, was that part of the, the, uh, the draw? Just, uh, absolutely trying to, you know, trying to keep it interesting, trying to keep it fun. Just being irresponsible. I mean, growing up, I mean, I was basically, I was a 35 year old man and like a, with the emotional, um, maturity of about a 19 year old. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, which I figured out, like if I'm going to find a relationship that suits me, 
no one's attracted to that. <laughs> but, hey, you know, by the way, Chris, you know, Christopher, we, we talked about last hour that that part of your experience in early recovery and, and the trauma that you experienced in early recovery and the shame cycle that you were caught up in early recovery robbed you of a decade of your precious life, okay? Yeah. And let me ask you this. Did you have a sense like I got a little I got a little catch up to do here? Absolutely. Well, there it is. Okay. So. Absolutely. That was all in play. Um, you know, I had I'd lost the, the, my 20s to the prison system and the streets and uh, and I just had this undes I had an uncontrollable desire to succeed and that that picture in my head looked like make a bunch of money, buy a house, and have a family. Although I didn't want the responsibility and didn't know how to be in a long-term relationship, for sure. Yeah. And uh, so I didn't even realize some of those forces were working. Um, and t I'll tell you, when I did realize, this is when I had my child two years ago, I just realized, like, this is what I was supposed to do. Yeah. This is probably what I was supposed to do. Yeah. Interesting. Now, but you just said it just now, Christopher. I didn't realize that those forces were working. Uh -uh. Describe those forces. It was something evil. It was something that didn't have your best interest in mind. It was something that wanted to keep you down. Yeah, it was just kind of like the whole, be, I want to be hip slipping cool and have a nice truck and, and a, a good looking woman on my arm. And, and I so want to do that forever. Thank you. They're called shallow, self-serving, self <laughs> limited objectives. We talk about that, right, in the big book. And, it and, was running uh, my life. And, and, <laughs> and how many of us pursue shallow, self-serving, limited objectives? The nice truck, the, the wife, the kids, the nice house. Okay, we get it. But you know something? Something's missing from that menu, wasn't it? Something was missing from that menu, wasn't it? It was a, it was a solid relationship with a power greater than yourself, wasn't it? And, yeah, uh, you, you know, you you come to terms with these things. I don't know. I'm pretty hard headed, and uh, but I, you know, I didn't. I I realized I wasn't finding any fulfillment in the life I was living, but I didn't know how to stop doing it at all. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, um, fast forward. Um, I ended up in California. And I loved it out here because everyone, there's so much recovery here. And I was somewhat young still. And, and uh, you know, I, I, I overall, I, my life got so much better. I mean, so much better. But I, I still brought these things with me everywhere I went. And, and so it's, you just slowly start to realize, like, there's just more to figure out here. There's something that I don't understand here. And I was always guided to the people that could get me there. But my initial reaction to people that gave me good guidance and 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 directed me towards where I probably really should be. It was it was like, no, dude, I'm not doing that. You know, like I was very, I'm very resistant. Um, I am extremely uh, defiant, and uh, and it almost. I see it's scary because I see it in my child now. You know, I always assumed that I was that way because of my experience with drugs and alcohol and all the things bad mm -hmm. that had happened to me. It's hereditary. And I, yeah, and I, what I realized <laughs> is I have a daughter now that has a perfect life that's with her mom and dad all the time, and she is so defiant. There she, is. she is so me, and I'm like, oh, yeah. my God, I was like that when I was born. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And this resistance, this defiance is about 
not wanting to surrender, not wanting to take it easy, not wanting to go with the flow, just trying to control the, the show, control the outcome, you know, and I manipulate the whole scenery until we can get it. By the way, I want to finish up our last segment, Christopher, about your experience in sponsorship and, um, and, and how you got into sponsorship, some of the, some of the bumps in the road you experienced in sponsorship, some of the things you learned from some of the sponsors that you had that you decided that you didn't want to repeat uh, with people that you were working with. So we're going to do that, though, because uh, you know, trust God, clean house, and help others. Were you able to jump into sponsorship and helping others pretty pretty early on? I did. That was my saving grace. I was very involved in that. Um, from the early get-go, um, the man that saved my life, who I still have a relationship with today, he's sober again, and, and uh, but he immediately started to tell me, you know, he immediately, when I got a vehicle and started taking myself to meetings, he immediately directed me to this halfway house where these guys that were getting out of prison and off the streets. He'd say, you go over there before the meeting and you get one of those guys and you take them to the meeting. And, and I'd say, I don't know what to say to him. And he's like, don't say anything to him. Just take them to the meeting, you know? <laughs> and I started to do that. And I started to realize it made me feel better. And what, looking back, maybe what was making you feel better was the fact that you were not only serving another suffering man, but, but unbeknownst to you, you were serving God at that moment. And it was God. It was God who was making you feel better. How interesting. My name's Toby C. We're talking about evil resistance that many of us encounter in, in early recovery. We're here with Christopher M. We're going to wrap up our last segment talking about the fourth dimension, a higher planular level of thinking where we can think outside the limitations of a three-dimensional world. We're going to be right back. Christopher M., The Fourth Dimension with Toby C. If you enjoy our message, then please visit us at itmtoby.com. Are you feeling a little uncomfortable? Then you're right where you belong. In the fourth dimension with Toby C. Yeah, everybody feels uncomfortable talking about the devil or Satan, but nobody feels uncomfortable talking about God. But I'm telling you, man, be aware of the existence and the presence of evil. And I swear it'll give you a, a good, overwhelming reason to get close to a God of your understanding. We're wrapping, this, we're wrapping up this hour with Christopher M., and Christopher is going to talk to us about um, how he overcame evil resistance by starting to pay attention to other suffering souls and uh, his experience in doing that. Take it away, Chris. Well, I think, you know, we were talking about sponsorship and I started to do that uh, early on in my, maybe my first year. And, uh, the, you know, the experiences were undeniable. They, they, can, they gave me, like, uh, revelations that I could have never come to on my own. And, and a lot of times they showed me uh, that what they did was they, it's like I was able to get outside of myself and watch my behavior from a different point of, from, from outside. And so, uh, for, for instance, this one story I'm thinking of in particular, I had stayed up all night. We had pulled this, this fella out of a dope hotel and we were taking him to treatment 
And we spent all night, probably three in the morning, driving this guy around. No one would take him because he was so loaded. And so the uh, sober living house guy said, we're going to take him home and put him back in the sober living. And in the morning at 9 a.m., I found this place that was going to take him the next morning at 9. So I got up after, you know, sleeping maybe like three or four hours. And I drove over to his house. And this place was way down a dirt road. And there was a field so he, they could see you coming. And I drove down this road to go get this guy because I was going to save him, you know what I mean? I was going to help this fella. I was gonna, he's going to get him sober. And, uh, and I, when, he, when he saw me coming down the road, he ran into the bathroom and locked himself in. So I, I went in and I was like, where is such and such? And they were like, he's in the bathroom. And I went to the door and I started banging on the door. And I was like, hey, get out of here. We're going to rehab. And he's like, no, I'm not going. And uh, I was furious because I was tired and I made all this effort. And this dude, he wasn't having it. And uh, after several minutes of beating on the door and talking to this guy through the door, I all of a sudden realized that I was standing in the exact position my father had been standing for years. Ah, and uh, Took you right back, didn't I was it? overwhelmed with this feeling of, like, understanding of the, the, the love. Role reversal. Man. Yeah, the Role love reversal. my dad had for me. Yeah. Uh, and I'd never seen it like that. And I just thought, oh my God, my family, you know, they were such good people. They always tried to help me and I always refused their help and ran away. So at that moment, Christopher, you were really recognizing the presence of evil, weren't you? Oh, this stuff. This, this is... was it. And, and, and you knew at that moment, I don't have any control over this. Mm-mm. Just it like my old man futile. had no control over me. It's futile, exactly. This guy was not getting help. And, uh, and I, but I tell you what, I walked away from that situation. I, I went to work that day. I worked the whole day long. And because of what had happened and that experience, that, that thought, that realization of how much my dad loved me and mm-hmm. what he had been through to get me to where I was today, mm-hmm. it was just like the greatest day ever. Mm-hmm. And, and that guy, he never got sober. He's still on the streets today. And, uh, but it changed my life forever. It changed my life forever, and and, um, and you got into work pretty early on in recovery, didn't you? You you know you had a sponsor who got you right into working with others, and here's the deal, gang. I'm telling you, you don't have to complete the twelve steps and ring the bell in order to start paying attention to another suffering soul. In the in the book of Alcoholics Anonymous, in chapter seven, working with others, towards the end of it, towards the end of that chapter, it says even the newest of newcomers, if they really you know, pay attention, can find somebody even blinder and more pain than they are. And then recovery starts, you know, and then recovery really starts. And, and, um, do you ever have any experiences working with, uh, with newcomers where it was nothing short of an exorcism <laughs> where, <laughs> yeah. where you actually saw the demon pack his shit up and, and, and hit the road say, I'm out of here. Uh, I can't handle this anymore. Do you ever have any of those experiences? I, I did. And they're, 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 it's a numbers game because I'm telling you that one out of a thousand does it. And, and when you see it happen, it's, it's mind blowing. Oh it's yeah. mind all. And I'm telling you today, it's been 14, 15 years since I got involved in this stuff. My best friends that I have, every single one of them is a guy that I sponsored and has stayed sober and I've seen his life get better. And I've just been like, Holy crap. This is, a you know, and they may have moved on to other sponsors, uh, or whatever, but I have this, I had a view of the whole thing. And I think Beautiful. I hate these guys when I meet them. You know what I mean? Like I so, can't stand this so guy. Answer this question here, Christopher. Why couldn't you experience the joy of the miracle of recovery early on? There it is. So you, what you're describing 
is is the joy and the miracle of her. It's a one in a thousand deal. It's a numbers game, but boy, when you when you get it, it is so overwhelming. And um, and I guess the answer it's really a rhetorical question. The answer why so many of us don't get to experience that joy is there something something out there that wants to keep us from that joy, keep us in utter bewilderment and confusion and anger and resentment. Don't you agree? It's it's pure evil, and uh, alcoholism and addiction is pure evil. And I, you know, I used a strong word. I said I hate, but I, what I mean when I say that, like when I start sponsoring somebody, and I see what they're doing, and they refuse to take work or take direction, I get so mad because I'm staring at myself. And mm -hmm. so, you know, I really I love these guys, and I give them everything, and, mm -hmm. and it's so disheartening to see them refuse to they just won't open that door up. yeah they just won't let you in man but you know the funny thing is is the guys that get better that they, they don't fight you they don't fight you they just blindly do what you ask them to do mm -hmm. and uh but i tell you what i'll hold on to the ones that are fighting mm -hmm. and spend tremendous energy and have a lot of anguish over it mm -hmm. and realize that and like we talked it's futile they're not ready and they're not uh ready but, but again, don't forget, Christopher, it's on God's time. It's not on our time. Right, and, so and, I have and, a problem And with God that. decides right. when people are going to get better. So, right, and you know, I have a control issue. I have a major control issue. All right, so the takeaway from this hour here, Christopher, and thank you so much for spending you know the past two hours with us, but certainly this hour, the takeaway for the, the listener, if you're stuck and you want to overcome evil resistance to whatever you're experiencing is... The takeaway message here is to stay with the group. And if your home group's driving you batshit crazy, go find another home group. But don't pull away from the fellowship. And the sooner, the sooner you, and I'm talking to you, fit yourself to be of maximum service to God and those about you, that means the sooner you prepare yourself for sponsorship, the, 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 the sooner your life is going to straighten out. And by the way, you may be more ready for sponsorship than you think you are, <laughs> right? Isn't That's that true? You can always pay attention to somebody, man. So anyway, hang in there, gang. Appreciate you spending the past couple of hours with me and Christopher M. Christopher, thank you so much for, for joining us on The Fourth Dimension and uh, appreciate your wisdom. Thanks for having me, Toby. All right, take care, God bless, and I keep trudging the road of happy destiny. Until then, I'm Toby C. with The Fourth Dimension and uh, God bless. message, then please visit us at itmtoby.com.